All right, well, we are going to be in Mark chapter 9 today. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 9. And um, we are going to take a look at some things that Jesus says in his description of uh, a life apart from God, really juxtaposed or put in comparison with a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and, and we're going to call that a salty life, right? That's a salty kind of a life. One seasoned with salt, as Scripture often uses that, the word salt to describe what it is like to be full of the Holy Spirit, to have the attributes of Jesus, it's to be salty. And so, uh, in fact, the, the title of today's message is just simply being salty. We want to be salty, right? We want to be like Jesus. And so let's go ahead and read this passage out of Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 43, and then uh, we'll work our way. We're, we're going to specifically focus on the last three verses of this passage, but we're going to start in verse 43 and just read the context so we kind of get an idea of what Jesus is saying here. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out, for it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is God's word. Can we give the Lord praise for his word this morning? So, uh, there's a lot to take in here. There are some very difficult words to digest, but uh, we need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is for our good. It's for our good. He wants us to see the reality of the kingdom life versus the reality of the life apart from the grace of the Father. And so... um, so I want to, specifically, I just want to read verse 50 again, but I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because it's just a great way of putting this. It says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. I love that. You must have the qualities of salt within yourselves. And if you notice, this is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. It's a command of Jesus, that we would be salty, that we would have the qualities of salt, that, that we would have salt within ourselves. In other words, don't just be Christian on the outside, be Christian on the inside, be really Christian. And, and, and that's the way I would sort of put this in my own word, words, as salt is salty, so a Christian must be Christian. The flavor of Christ should be on us if we call ourselves Christian. That means that the works of Christ flow out of us because of the grace of Christ, which is saturating our hearts. Really important. Because a lot of people in this world have gotten to this place where they believe that, that uh, 
they've become enlightened, if you will. They no longer need God. They can, they, they're, they're somehow better than other people because they've risen above religion. How many of you have heard that before? If you went to college, you probably heard that every day. I mean, I was in the philosophy department at UCO. I, I mean, I had those words pounded in my skull on a regular basis, and yet I knew because of the presence of the Holy Spirit were in me that that was foolish. The presence of the Spirit taught me that that was very dumb, actually. A very dumb way to live and think, but that's the way most people think in our world. And I, in fact, I would, I would even argue that a lot of Christians think that way practically. A few years ago, uh, local pastor Craig Groeschel wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And in that book, he, uh, he argued that there are a lot of us who claim Jesus, but our lives resemble the world so much that you wouldn't know it. And that's a problem. It is a problem. It's something that we all need to consider. Is, are, is that something that can be described of me? Am I a practical atheist? I say I believe in Jesus, but my life doesn't say much about the gospel enough for people to really uh, convict me of being a Christian. That's my, my, I remember my youth pastor used to say, you know, uh, when, uh, if you were set on trial, if this country suddenly started putting people on trial for being Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? It's an important question to ask. But we know that the way the world thinks is dead wrong. In fact, the most independent thinking person is not the one who resists God, but rather the one who resists the devil. Because the devil in the way of Adam is the way of nature. It's the way people have gone ever since Adam and Eve grabbed the fruit and preferred self-indulgence over turning their hearts towards God the Father. You see, the life in the Father is a life of selflessness. It's a life of turning away from self and towards Jesus and the life in the flesh is one of self-indulgence and selfishness and pursuing myself. And you see, that has no place in the church and in the life of the Christian. But it is the way of the world, and we must resist it. Because think about it this way. If you were created to be like God, and, and we, I know I reference the Westminster Confession all the time because it's just one of the best, okay? I know. Uh, you guys would be like, Aren't, you know, you're, you're more like a baptist guy and not a Presbyterian guy, right? Yeah, but we're all Reformed and we all love the Lord and it's all good, okay? Just because we dunk our people instead of sprinkling them doesn't mean we can't accept the Presbyterians. And besides, Dwight grew up Presbyterian and, and he converted, so it's all good, all right? So, um, so, no, but for real, like, that... It's so rich, those ancient words, uh, they are getting old, well, ancient, 1600s really isn't that old, I guess, but uh, those, those, those old, beautiful words of the Reformed Confession, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's beautiful, and it's biblical, by the way, and when the Baptists wrote their confession, we totally ripped it off, so it's, it's so good, you know, if you go read the original London Confession of Faith, the, the Baptists, they we totally ripped the Presbyterians off in many ways, so I'm, I, we're indebted to them, um, but, uh, but, but people in this world think that, that, you know, that they're so enlightened because they walked away from God, and yet they were created to glorify God, and so if, if that's the purpose that we were made, and we were made to be noble and pure and good and sinless, just like the Father. And then we've come to, to reject that and to live as something far less than what we were created to be. Then we're not more free. We're, we are not freer living apart from God because we are no longer serving the purpose we were created to, to serve. To bring glory to the Father. 
Now, whether people want to admit it or not, we were created in the image of God. Everyone carries that, whether they want to admit it or not. It's the truth. It's as true as gravity, you know? Uh, as Sir Isaac Newton discovered, if you drop an apple, it hits the ground. 100% of the time, by the way, unless you've got some, like, trampoline to bounce it back up or something. Some, some external thing to reverse the effects of gravity. When, you, it's, when I fall, by the way, when I trip, I always hit the ground. It happens every time. It's not pleasant. And uh, the older I get, the more clumsier I apparently am. And it's probably because I'm not playing football anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I don't have the, a coach making me do stuff that, that, that keeps me toned. And, um, and, and so we know the laws of nature. You cannot deny the laws of nature. And yet so many people want to deny one of the most important laws of nature, and that's that the image of God is, is a part of who we are. And when we resist the image of God, we're actually resisting goodness and grace, and, and we're resisting becoming the people that we were created to be. And we are not more free, even though we may think that we are. The enemy has us convinced that we are. People who are apart from God oftentimes think they're outside the cage when they're inside of it. You know, one of, th one of the things that uh, Scott often says, and if you ever, you know, have breakfast with Scott, you would hear this. He talks about, you know, how the fish inside of the pond don't realize they can't see the pond. They're inside it. But when you're outside of the pond, you can see the, everything that's going on in the pond. You see the fish. You see, but we realize we're outside. We can see the whole thing. And that's how God is. He sees from a different perspective. And, and by the way, when you come to know Jesus, one of the things that the grace of God does in your life is he breaks you out of the cage and you begin to see what you've been trapped within. And once you can see what you've been trapped within, then you see that that was enslaving you and that Christ is actually bringing you freedom. He's breaking you out. And once you come outside, you see the deadness of sin and you don't really want that anymore. You realize it, was, it wasn't a good way to live. It was destroying you. It was tarnishing you. Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 34, tells us that anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is a slaver. It is not something that brings you freedom. Now, people out there think, well, it, you know, uh, we had a big sexual revolution back in the 60s, right? And we thought, well, now we can kind of sleep with whoever we want, and, and now we're free. And look where that's got us today. Yeah. We're a broken society with no moral fabric, we no longer appeal to the scriptures for truth, and we're floating around like people who have no shepherd. We got no hope. This culture's falling apart. It's rotting from within. You know, uh, who was it? Um, Khrushchev, the Russian who said that this country, America, would rot from within. He saw it coming, and, and it is happening. And it's because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. So how do we fix it? How do we reclaim it? Uh, I have some good news because even though Jesus says if salt becomes, you know, if it loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? The reality is we were salty in the beginning. Adam was very salty, and he lost his flavor by turning his heart away from God. But Christ came and died on the cross so that we could be freed from sin and made salty again. It is the only way to be made salty again is in Jesus Christ. So again, Scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he goes on to say, So do not submit again to the, to the works of this world. What is freedom? 
I think we've, this is just the intro, by the way. We've already pretty well established, though, that freedom is not the ability to do anything that we want. It's the ability to, ins to resist the enslaving works of the devil. Freedom is the ability to say no to sin. You see, the world thinks that freedom is the ability to sin, but the scriptures tell us that freedom is the ability to resist sin and to return back to the nature of Christ that God created us to carry. It really could be said that it's the ability to see the cage and to leave it behind, to walk away from it. So uh, I think this morning, as we're preparing our minds to understand what Christ is calling us to, uh, I think everyone needs to understand that we need to make no mistake that if we are living a life of rebellion against God, we are not outside the cage, we're in it. But God wants to set us free from that so that we can live a new life in Christ. And Jesus died so that it could happen. The only way to escape the cage is through dying. Dying to sin, dying to the flesh. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Matrix, the original one, by the way. Only the original one. The other ones just didn't hold up. Okay, but the original Matrix, and the thing that fascinated me about that movie, by the way, um, sorry, Dad, it was my first rated R movie, and I snuck that movie I'm just confessing my sin to my dad now, uh, 20 years later. Um, but, uh, but man, that movie captivated my mind. And, and here's why. Because uh, the, the, the story is about a man who is living inside a software. And he, he's like the entire world, in fact, in that, in, in, in that story, is they're living inside a computer-generated program, a simulator. And they think that life is peachy, right? Everything's fine. But something just isn't right. And Neo, the main character, uh, he, he knows something isn't right. He feels that something isn't right. But he can't quite put his finger on it. He's a computer programmer. And occasionally, he, it's like the, he sees these glitches in the code. And he's like, what's going on? And, but his life is super boring. And he just feels like there's more out there. But he just doesn't know what it is. And he has this encounter with this super cool guy named Morpheus who has these cool glasses. Anyway, cool cars. They drive a Lincoln Continental classic. It's just, anyway, um, it's, it's all cool. But uh, they, this, in the movie, they, Neo is given an opportunity to either choose to stay in the life he's in or to learn the truth. And his curiosity gets the better of him, and he chooses to learn the truth. And what he finds is horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. Um, he, he wakes up uh, in this, this room, or it's like a, just a massive like human farm, and all these people are hooked up to this matrix, and they're all living this lie, and they all think that, that th everything's good inside the computer program, but what he comes to realize is, this is these are aliens who have enslaved them and are using the people to feed off of in their whole lives, and they don't know it. Sounds an awful lot like another story I've heard about an enemy who, anyway, enslaves people to sin. And f anyway, um, so of course, you know, my, I mean, I wasn't a preacher yet, but I was called and, and I already had that mind. I'm like, man, this is the gospel. Like, they don't even know they're preaching the gospel, but they are. And, um, and, and but what it taught me is if you want to know the truth, something in you has to die, right? Like Neo had to come to the horrifying reality that his whole life was, was a lie. His whole life was a lie. That everything that he thought was normal was actually the false. And that's kind of what it is to become a Christian. 
you, you, look, you, you begin to recognize everything that I thought was real was a lie. My entire way of thinking was a lie. And part of us has to die in order to come to the other side of that. It's a part of us who resists God that has to die. Paul tells us in, in Romans chapter 8 that, that we who have died to sin with Christ, are, we're dead. We're dead to it. But now we're also alive in Christ. So in other words, there has to be a clean break, right? Between the old person that I was before Christ and the person that I am now. And so in this passage that we read in Mark, Jesus illustrates for us what it's like to grow into, a, into the sort of person that we were created to be. The person who's seen the light, who's seen the cage that we were in, who's seen sin and death for what it truly is and has walked outside. And now how do I live a life that's consistent with what I know and what the Spirit has revealed to me? I want to be clear that, that, that there is a part of us that has to be actively pursuing this. It doesn't just happen to us. By the grace of God, we're given all the tools that we need to grow into Christ. And, and he pours us a new foundation to build our lives on. And that foundation is his grace. And he gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. So none of these are things that we have to accomplish on our own. So, so we don't have to do what the Victorian Christians thought they had to do. We don't have to like flog ourselves into submission. We don't have to starve ourselves to death so that we can starve out the flesh. We don't have to like, like literally mortify our flesh. But here's what the Spirit is calling us to do. He's calling us to join him in the work of mortifying or killing the flesh, but not literally our bodies, the sin nature within our bodies. Our bodies themselves aren't evil. You realize that? Like when Jesus comes back, he's going to raise that body from the dead. This one, right? This one's coming out of the grave. That's why Christians bury our dead, right? Because we anticipate that, that we're coming out. <laughs> you know, I can't wait. That's going to be so cool. I, I hope I get to freak somebody out. You know, I, I'm just, I, I have it in my head, like in the movies, my hand's going to come pounding through the ground, you know, and some poor soul who doesn't know the Lord is going to, anyway, they're going to be real scared. But, um, <laughs> Anyway, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the zombie movies, but better, you know, because we're alive and not the walking dead. We'll be the walking living again, and it'll be really cool. But, um, but, but, but that, you know, that's, that's, that's a part of what we believe. Like, these bodies themselves are not evil. These bodies are good. This world itself is not evil. Uh, we need to be clear. We need to understand that when Jesus comes back, he's going to baptize this world with fire. He's not going to completely destroy this earth. He's going to remake this earth. It's going to be the earth that God intended from the very beginning. And you know, a really cool thing about it is we're all going to live in a big city together, New Jerusalem. It's going to be really cool, you know. Uh, I'm excited about experiencing that with the Lord. And, and the Bible says that we're not even going to need the sun because the glory of Christ is going to be so bright in that place. Right? Heaven. See, we, we've, for all these years, for all, my, my whole childhood, I was always taught that uh, when, when I die, I go to heaven. I didn't realize that heaven was coming here. <laughs> right? That's so cool. Like, it's so much better to realize what the gospel, what the scriptures actually teach. Heaven is coming here. Like, when Jesus came from the throne room of heaven to here, he was giving us a taste of what the future is going to be like. And he died on the cross to redeem as many to himself as possible. And when he returns, he's bringing with him the kingdom of God in, in fullness and completion. And he's going to restore this place, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. We restored this old building here, right? 
It took way longer than anyone ever thought, especially um, the people who were a part of Covenant Life before because they, they all thought they were done. And then, and then we were like, oh, this is going to, roof's going to fall in. <laughs> and, then we, and then all of a sudden it's like, we better fix this. And then it was like another year and a half of construction. Like our first year and a half of construction is a combined church, or our, our, our first year and a half together is a combined church. It was all construction, right? We didn't expect that, but it's what it was. But the finished product is amazing, right? And it's just a taste. See, part of renovating an old building like this and bringing the building back to life for the community, it's not just, we're, you know, we're stewards of this property, but ultimately this, this building doesn't belong to us long term. It's part of this community. It belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, right? Um, and uh, the earth, he, everything belongs to him. We're stewarding it, but we restored it, and, and it actually is an echo of the future that is to come when Christ restores all things. Take something broken, take a roof that's going to cave in and put new rafters in it. Like Jesus is going to completely redo this world. It's going to be awesome. That's what we're headed towards. And we need to understand that if we're called to be his children, we're called to be his people, we're going to live in that world. And so now it's time for us to start practicing as if we're citizens of that kingdom. So there are three things I want to pull out of these verses. And, and very, you know, we're going to focus right now on verses 49 and 50. And I want to read those again just to make sure they're fresh. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's talk first about what it, what it means to be salted with fire. Because I'll be honest with you, I hadn't really meditated on that particular verse much until this past week. I know I've read it many, many times, but the Lord just like, it just popped out at me this week. And I started, I started thinking, what does it mean to be salted with fire? Now, when the Holy Spirit came, he was described as being tongues of fire. Oftentimes, the Lord is described as being fire. When he showed up to Moses, he was a burning bush. Fire, the purifying power of God, is a part of the nature of who God is. He's a purifier. And, and when Scripture talks about us being salted with fire, what, script, what, what Jesus is saying here is that those of us who are in him will be salted with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. The presence of the Spirit. It's as if God is just shaking the Holy Spirit onto us. And, and, and what comes with that? Well, again, we've talked about the qualities of salt quite a bit over the past weeks. But we know salt is a preservative. We also know that salt, uh, we, know, we know that salt can clean a wound. Uh, I talked about how I had a paper cut and I got some salt water on my paper cut and it burned really bad. Uh, it wasn't very pleasant and yet I knew that was good because it was cleaning, you know, the wound. But when the Christian embraces Jesus Christ as Lord, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about it. Every Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that we all live full of the Holy Spirit all the time, but you are indwelt with the Spirit. The Bible calls the Spirit the down payment of our salvation. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, <laughs> because you have the Holy Spirit. You know you're truly in Christ if you have the Holy Spirit. It's really important. 
And how do you know the Holy Spirit? Well, you start to ask, start to ask questions about what, what kind of fruit is being produced in my life. Because Jesus, in the, in, uh, in the parable of the sower, he says, hey, everyone who knows me will produce fruit. Some, some are going to produce 30, some 60, you know, some 100. I mean, there are different levels of fruit producing. So I'm not going to say every Christian is producing this, you know, massive, you know, massive bushels of, of fruit. But we're all producing some kind of life transformation. We're not the same person we were because the Spirit is at work in us. It may be very small. And maybe just a glimmer of hope. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians that some people are going to be saved as through the fire. And they're just barely going to make it. I mean, you're still going to be there. I don't think anybody who gets into the kingdom is going to be bummed about it. You know what I mean? But, like, but, but at the same time, like, I, I really don't want to get in just by the skin of my teeth. I, I think I'd rather get in, you know with a little more margin than that, you know, I'm, I, I'm just saying, you know, it's like, it's better to win a football game by 21 points than by a field goal, you know, um, or, or even worse, a safety, You're like, we just barely won, we tackled them in the end zone at the last second, like, I'd rather win by a lot, so, you know, maybe we ought to think that way with our lives, but we're salted with fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit, we talked a lot about, uh, how, this, you know, we as the church are the salt of the earth. Jesus said that. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Now, why are we the salt of the earth? It's because the Spirit is salting and preserving us, and so we have a salty and preservative power in the world because of the work of the Spirit in us. It's the grace of God that's activating in us holiness and righteousness and truth that makes us a preservative for a broken and rotting culture. So what the Spirit is for us, we are to the culture. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. But again, the spirit is like salt on a wound because when he comes inside of us, there's typically some unholy still left, right? We've repented, but we're still broken. We're, we're still a work in progress. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. The spirit is about every day bringing something up in my heart that needs to be killed. And that's not always easy, especially when it's something that I like deep down inside when the Spirit pulls up a sin pattern in my life or something that deep down inside, I'm like, Lord, I, I, kind, of, I kind of enjoy that. Like, like, I don't really want you to take that away today. Anybody else have that experience sometimes? Here's the thing. A salty life is about actively choosing the Spirit's direction rather than the, the direction of my sin nature that still wants to win over me. It's an active pursuit it's something I choose. Uh, you know, those of us who've been married for very long, we've come to realize that love is a choice, right? It's not just something you feel ushy-gushy, you know. Um, <laughs> it's not just this inner thing where it's like, you know, it's not like in the movies where, like, um, you know, like the princess sees her, her uh, prince and all of a sudden it's like, I know we're made for each other. Actually, Frozen really exposed that because Anna saw that Hans guy. That guy was a nerd. I mean... <laughs> You know, but like it's the first Disney movie where it's like, oh, that's realistic. This, this is a bad dude who's trying to take advantage of this princess and she's naive. And um, real love doesn't really work that way. I mean, that's infatuation. You know, like I think my wife's pretty. I hope we all feel that way about our spouses. But, but, but true love goes a lot deeper than that. True love, I wake up in the morning and I say, even um, when you annoy me, I choose you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can, can I get an amen? Wives, probably, I know we husbands probably annoy our wives more than they annoy us, but, you know, but, but the reality is that's, that's, what, that's what love is. It's a choice. See, 
The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't choose me because I, I, was, I was a handsome, strapping young lad. No, he looked at me and he, and he, and he saw sin and death. And he died on the cross anyway on my, in my place to make me holy. He chose to love me. And he chooses to love us. He chooses his bride, the church, even though she's got warts. Amen? Yeah. We may look something like, you know, the ugly witch from the fairy tales, but you know what? He chooses us. He chooses the weird-looking Hansel and Gretel witch. That's what we look like in our hearts because we're broken. And yet, so we, by his example, make an active choice to choose him. He's beautiful. He's holy. He's pure. And our temptation is to go back to what's unholy and unpure because that's the natural way of Adam's heart. And we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But but we're now made alive in Christ, so we reject that to walk in a new way. So it's the Spirit's transforming work. It's often painful, but it's, it's His transforming work. But then there's also the, the, the idea of the salty flavor Jesus mentioned. So it's critical that we have the flavor of salt. We're salted with fire. And understand that as we're salted, we take on the flavor of what we're being salted with. So if we're being salted with the Holy Spirit... We're taking on the flavor and the aroma of Jesus. So we become flavorful. How do we become flavorful? Even though we were dead in our sins, just like our father Adam, we become flavorful because we've turned away from our sin and ourself and towards Jesus and we received the Holy Spirit as a gift and he is salting us with the flavor of Jesus. And, and that salt is burning out the unholiness from within us. So the Christian life is about progressively becoming more like Christ and choosing Christ over my sin nature constantly. And that's how I become more salty, more flavorful, more like Jesus. And, and this is critical. It's critical that we resemble Christ. Look, Scripture says that in Adam all die. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in Adam all die. But then he also says, but in Christ all are made alive. In other words, anyone who's in Adam is just going to keep living death. But anyone who's in Christ is going to experience life. I, feel, I think it's important for us to say here that uh, Jesus died to destroy sin, right? So that we could embrace this new life. It's really important. We need, that, that could be said many times over. And it needs to be said many times over. Matter of fact, I, that's something I tell myself regularly. <laughs> like, Lord, I know you died to kill this, so help me to have the grace to rise above it, to put it away. In verse 48, Jesus talks about hell. Describes it as a place where their worm does not die. <laughs> it's just, this is horrible. The wor worm does not die and fire is not quenched. And he's not talking about the holy refining fire of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the, the, the torment of a life that is severed from the Father. I, I don't even need to go into a lot of details. You realize Jesus talked about hell more than anybody? In fact, there's more mention of hell than there is of heaven in Jesus' words. And I don't think it's because Jesus is angry and, 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 and wants to, you know, sort of like, he's not here to try to necessarily scare us, but he wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know that the, that the person who is in Adam will experience death to its fullest. And that's what hell is. Hell is death taken to its fullest extreme 
separation from the Father. And the reality of hell is that, that no one will be there except for those who want to be. C.S. Lewis used to say that, that it's, it's those who desire hell who end up there because they can't stand being in the presence of the Father. It's children of Adam who are living in Adam's ways. And the reality is just as unpreserved meat will eventually rot, an unpreserved person who doesn't have the salt of Christ in them will rot to the fullest extent. It's the natural process of those who are apart from Christ. But it's not what God wants for you. It's not what God wants for me. It's not what God wants for anyone. Scripture is clear that God's design for humanity was life. But we've chosen death. It was our choice, not God's. God is not some evil, angry, vindictive God who's like sitting up in the clouds waiting to throw a lightning bolt at you. But he is allowing us to walk the natural consequences of what we've chosen. And that's to be separated from him. And if we die in Adam, we will have no chance at life. It's only those who die in Christ, who are dead to their sins, who will have that eternal life that we talk about. And so, um, so the last part here is the idea of the salt within us. This is really important. This may be the most important thing that I say today. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in us is powerful in that it not only changes us on the outside, but transforms us from within. It, as I said a few minutes ago, burns us out to make us holy, burns out the unholiness from within. Having the qualities of salt within us means that we are salty through and through. It, it's, it's completely permeating us. We'll not only learn that, uh, we not only learn what it means to cut sin off from ourselves, but we learn to actively pursue the holiness of God and replace the old sin nature in us. We, we, we actively fight against our sin nature. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, Paul says that we must take captive every thought and submit it to Christ. That's what this means. And when, when, I, when I feel some sin welling up inside of me, I've learned to recognize it because I've seen the cage. Okay, I've seen, I've seen the sin nature for what it is. I saw what I was enslaved to. So when I see something unholy welling up inside of me, I, I can generally spot it out. I see it, a sin. And then I have a choice in that moment. And by the way, I have the power of the Holy Spirit, so I do have a choice. I don't have to submit to my sin anymore, right? Uh, I, I can't let us forget what Galatians says. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the de desires of the flesh, Right? And what James says, if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Resist. We're the resistance against sin and death. So, but what do I have to do? I have to actively resist. I have to actively choose God over my sin nature. And I have that power within me because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not me. I don't have that power in myself. I have that power in the Spirit within me to resist the devil. And, and by the way, this lifelong learning to become more like Jesus, to resist the, the sin nature, that's called discipleship. And we all need to be in it. We all need to be in a discipling relationship with Jesus and with the local church, by the way. Now, there's a lot of people here this morning who are in this church and you're regularly a part of this church. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't joined this church, join this church. 
Because God, if God is calling you to be a part of this fellowship, to be under the, the, the authority and protection and the covering of the local church, man, you need to do that. And if you're watching online and you're not a part of a church, God brought you to this feed this morning so you could connect. We want to help cover you and to help you grow into who you're created to be in Jesus. That's what a church is for. Okay? A church is about helping one another to be like Christ. It's not just a place that you show up to sing a few songs and hear a speech once a week. Okay? Like, there's a lot of other places you can hear a speech and probably a better one. Okay, to be honest. Like, watch a TED Talk or something. But, but we're here, we're here to grow in holiness together towards Jesus. So, doesn't mean that we are perfect, by the way. It doesn't mean we're perfect yet. It just means that, that we're working to have the qualities of salt within us. We're, we're going to be more salty, more like Jesus. Uh, and, but it does mean this. This is important. We are heading for perfection, and we're acknowledging that. We're heading for the fullness of God in us. We're heading towards becoming people who have had sin fully purged out of us, and we're living in that new city that's going to have sin fully purged out of it, and in this world that's going to have sin fully purged out of it. So we want to live like citizens of that world and not like citizens of this one where people are throwing bricks through windows and where people are angry and sleeping with whoever they want to and, uh, and, and, and they're all about, hey, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, but it does hurt people. They just don't want to admit it. We don't want to be like that world. I want to be like the world that's coming, the holy and pure and good one where Jesus is on the throne and the glory of God fills the place. So may the glory of God fill my heart and your heart. And, and, and let's just be honest right now. If, if we have no desire to be salty, to live this kind of life, why would we claim to follow Jesus at all? I think there's a lot of people today who are actually taking that option. You know, Pastor Dwight and I were talking this morning about how many people, like there, there was an article in the newspaper about how people are not returning to church after this COVID thing. And Barna had a recent study a huge percentage of people who were regular church attenders before COVID are not attending church today. They don't desire the things of God. And, and, and oftentimes what that exposes in us is either dead Christianity or, or backslidden Christianity, as we used to call it, you know, where we're just, we're like, we're not pursuing the Lord anymore. Maybe your Christianity has become dormant. You can be a real Christian and, you're, and, you're, and, and just sort of be dormant. But then there's also people who are pretenders, and their whole life they pretend to follow Jesus, and, and, but they don't have any desire for holiness. They have no desire to be salty, and they're just playing games. I think a lot of those people are just falling off the face of the earth right now because they're realizing, oh, hey, I haven't been to church in two months, and I don't really feel anything. You know why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the presence of the Spirit in their life to convict them and draw them back to the fellowship. The fellowship is critical. You're not going to be a disciple of Jesus without a fellowship. I'm just saying. You can't do it. Jesus never called people to be Lone Ranger Christians. The original, his original group, he called them to work together to, to bring the message of the gospel to the world and to help one another to grow in Christ. One, the, the command of the Great Commission is to, that we would teach one another to observe the commands of Jesus. This is not something we do on our own. We do it in fellowship. Um, but if we don't have any desire to be like him, then our religion is just pretentious and phony. It's not real. And, but that's not what he's called you to. If that's where you are today, I want, I want you to know, like I'm not saying that out of condemnation. What I'm saying is come to Jesus. Stop living a lie and let's make it real. Repent and believe the gospel. Life is a constant process of repenting and believing the gospel.
Listen, God desires to make you and me in every way like his son Jesus. I'm 100% confident of that. His desire is to make us in every way like his son Jesus. Christ literally died to set us free from Adam's very, very stupid choices. (laughs) They were very bad. Okay. Um, He... He died to set us free from that so that we can see the cage and the slavery of sin and death. And then so that we can leave that behind and and be made new and be made salty again like we were created to be, like him. The flavor of Christ, the aroma of Christ on us. So now that we have that gift, Christian, now that you have that gift, the gift of God's grace, the gift of forgiveness, the opportunity to turn away from yourself and towards Jesus, to be made salty again. Now that you've been given that gift through Jesus Christ, I want to make an encouragement this morning. Let's do everything that we can do to embrace that gift, and let's do the work that's required to become the people that God created us to be, building on the foundation of God's grace working with the Holy Spirit who's giving us the power to overcome the sin nature. When he shows me something, I'm going to choose the word of God over the word of this world. I don't want to be like my father Adam who heard the word of the devil and said, oh yeah, no, that sounds great. No, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to reject that and say yes to the father and no to the enemy, no to my sin nature. And I want to be made like Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper in response to this message today. Um, so, in fact, what I would like to do is I'd like to have um, Pastor Dwight and our, any, inter, some of our uh, people who are intercessor, intercessors for prayer, like Dennis, if you wouldn't mind coming up, maybe uh, somewhere for prayer. What we're going to do, because the Lord is really clear, and, and also those who are going to take communion, if you would just come and take the, get the Lord's Supper elements, our, our deacons, if, if you guys could, um, Pastor Richard, what we're going to do, the, the scriptures are really clear that we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper out of reverence. And so I, I would really encourage that if there's any unconfessed sin in our hearts, if you, maybe you've been walking away from God for a while, you've been saying yes to the flesh, even though Jesus Christ has freed you from it, this is a great opportunity. And I've I, I got to encourage you again. The scriptures are clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? You have an opportunity today. To say, look, God has done a work in me and I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm turning away from it. I am free. Embrace your freedom. I would encourage you to find a prayer partner this morning and grab a hold of that person's hand and say, would you pray for me that, that, that I wouldn't live that way anymore? I, I, I've been struggling with sin. I want to live like a person who's been set free. Now, there may also be someone in this room who's never received Christ. You've never repented and believed the gospel your entire life. Maybe you've heard the gospel hundreds of times, but you've never actually committed your life to Christ. I want to tell you, any of these prayer partners would love to, to pray with you. And, and, and you just tell God, listen, I'm tired of living Adam's way. I'm tired of doing the Frank Sinatra thing and doing it my way. I'm ready to do it your way. I'm ready to submit my heart to you so that I can be a child of life and light instead of life or instead of death and sin. So I want to pray for us and, uh, and we'll just begin this process. We're going to pass, uh, we're going to, we will pass out communion elements. Um, but while we're doing that, and they're over here, by the way, guys, uh, while we're doing that, I would encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, let's, in fact, let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to sing as these are being passed out. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to just encourage you, come and find someone to pray for you, whether it's one of our elders or, uh, or one of our prayer partners who we've 
who, who uh, we have trained to do this. So let's pray. Lord, we, we want to we pursue you this morning. We want to be a church that's holy and pure and ready, Father, to, to do what you want to do. God, we, we pray about awakening. We want to we see revival. But God, we also know that revival can't come unless your people are ready to receive it. It starts with your church. It starts with your, with your bride who is purified and ready to receive this and then ready to carry the torch into a broken world. So God, purify us here. Purify your church. God, of any sin, of any unholiness that we've been carrying. God, of any temptation to say yes to our sin nature and to the devil rather than saying yes to the Spirit and to Christ. God, help us. We need your grace. We cannot stand apart from your grace. Lord, Spirit, come this morning and move amongst us. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.